Hello everyone, welcome to Pensive Politics. I am your host, Christian Watson, and today I have a very special guest with me, uh, Matt Gertler, who is currently a state representative in the Georgia House of Representatives and is running for a Congress in the 9th Congressional District, a district um, recently, a seat recently, I should say, vacated by Doug Collins, who is known better, well known as one of President Trump's most ardent defenders, uh, who is now running for the United States Senate against Kelly Loeffler. Uh, Matt, how are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing very good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's just so exciting. You're one of the the sort of first high profile guests we've had here on the show. So I'm so excited for you to uh, uh, join me. I suppose I should ask first, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, since it's in the news about the coronavirus and how it's had an effect in your district, because all across the world, I think that uh, uh, Italy's has well over 3,000 uh, deaths, and there are a few other countries that have passed over 1,000, and America has over well over 2,000 cases. And I've it, the grocery stores all across the nation are selling out of uh, stock rapidly, and the people are uh, rushing to buy toilet paper, all that kind of stuff. So how, how has it affected your district? And has there been any efforts in the House representatives or amongst uh, the state government to address the coronavirus pandemic? And last question, do you think the government has any business addressing this pandemic in any sort of hands-on way? Right. It's a good question. You know, in Georgia, uh, we had had a special session. That's what comes to my mind, first of all. You know, I think there's only been about six deaths in Georgia so far, 46 cases uh, of the COVID-19, the, or otherwise known as the coronavirus. Um, but we did absolutely, we came in uh, for a special session. Uh, or let me go back a little bit, actually. So my district, um, I represent towns, union, Raven and white counties. And so far, we have not been affected uh, with any cases up here that we know of so far. So that's good for our district, the House District 8, which is um, in which I've been representing for four years. Uh, but we did have a special session because we have a number of cases in Georgia, but not too many. Like I said, uh, last update that I've seen, there were six deaths and about 46 cases um, down in Georgia. But th- there could be more now. Um, but we, um, we wanted to, you know, the session came back in on Monday. It was a very, um, it was a very, uh, interesting time because it was a special session. We actually adjourned our regular session, uh, last week. So we're suspended right now at the moment. Uh, we don't know when we're going to be coming back in or not. Um, but mm-hmm. we had a special session on Monday, this past Monday, just a few days ago. And that was mm-hmm. to give emergency powers to, uh, Governor Kemp. And um, for him to, you know, be able to exercise, um, you know, executive uh, emergency powers uh, to try to, to handle this public safety crisis is actually the first time in Georgia history that we had a special session like this for public safety or public health reasons, excuse me. And so we came back in on Monday and I'll just kind of give you some inside baseball to that. So when we looked at uh, we looked at the uh, resolutions, we basically we came in to concur with the executive and to see if he, we, he needed to grant those powers to him. And so we had a House version and a Senate version. And the House version um, said that we would have a 30-day check on the executive uh, for his, his executive privilege for the emergency powers, which seemed reasonable and responsible. 30 days, we'd come back in, and the legislative body would check the executive privilege, and we would renew it or he wouldn't based on the vote. And uh, this is Civics 101, basically. And then there was another right. uh, resolution that came out of uh, the Senate, which which was calling for a automatic renewal that the executive, the government would have unlimited power and renewal power 
So I uh, came back in there with a with a bunch of uh, colleagues, Democrats and Republicans. And, uh, you know, it was pretty much unanimous that I talked to everybody that we were not going to vote for the automatic renewal. But we did pass out the 30 day renewal with a check on the, the executive from the legislative branch here in Georgia House of Representatives. So that passed out. I voted for that bill. It went to the Senate and then the Senate proceeded to hold it up for about three hours and then until about the afternoon. And then we got back the Senate version. They passed out. It was mm-hmm. changed and they struck out the language to allow that the governor uh, would um, be eligible to automatic renewal after 30 days. And I have to go back to the executive, uh, excuse me, to the legislative and check that executive privilege. And so, mm-hmm. um, so I voted no to that uh, based on those reasons. And, and I was, I stood alone. It was kind of astounding actually, because so many people I talked to before said they were not going to vote for that automatic renewal. And then when it came down to mm-hmm. uh, you know the vote, um, I stood alone once again <laughs> on that vote. Yes, and, yes. Uh, I've gotten a lot of support though from Georgians around the state. Absolutely. Um, you know, to your other question, you know, does the government have a role in, in you know trying to combat these things? And I think it certainly does. You know, they can encourage things. You know, I don't like to see a lot of things happening around the country where they're mandating you know private businesses to do certain things. I think that right. should come from personal responsibility of the community. I mean, right. we, had a, we had a couple cases, for instance, uh, one state senator and uh, I believe there's a state representative now in Georgia. They got uh, positive for COVID-19. And, um, you know, what they should be doing is, uh, you know, uh, you know, with personal responsibility, you've got to be able to have that responsibility to quarantine yourself. Right. And so uh, I think it comes down to that. You know, everybody right now, as far as I, I've been talking to people, they are staying indoors. They're doing their due diligence. They're not trying to spread this disease. They're our most vulnerable vulnerable of our population, the older elderly. And so, you know, um, and if that helps answer your question, I think that, you know, it's just unprecedented time right now uh, with, with, with what's happening. But, you know, as Benjamin Franklin said, you know, you can give up your, your liberty for security and you'll, ne- you'll have neither, basically. Precisely. And so it depends on how much you want the government to be involved or how not. You know, I'm a limited government conservative Republican. I would say that you know, the government has certainly a, a role in the public safety health uh, for the reasons of that. But, you know, uh, with this type of virus, we just don't know what's going to happen. And it certainly don't want to panic. And that, that would not be good. Um, but Precisely. we certainly have to look at it as a, in a responsible way. And I think, that's what I think that's what we're doing here in Georgia. Precisely. No, I think that's absolutely right. And I think uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of people have gone into this sort of paternalistic petitioning phase where they are asking the uh, the state governments to shut down certain places to mandate curfews. Multiple states have shut down businesses like South Carolina and so on and so forth. But Governor Kemp, I must give him credit, he has refused to go that far. He has refused to take the heavy hand of government right. and squash people's wills. He's actually just said, guys, be responsible. I trust you. And I think right. that is the sort of that is the that is the vision the founders had for public public service in this country. That is the uh, sort of concept that America was built upon, right? We were built against the British because we were being told what to do, essentially. We were being told what to do in, egre- in egregious ways. But it's funny that the spirit of the, re- the revolution has been lost on so many people in the modern times that when panic happens, they immediately just kick They just immediately just kick into this panic mode and they ask the government for help. So I'm happy. I'm warmed. My heart is warmed to hear you uh, reaffirm the role of personal responsibility in this case. And you mentioned something that is quite some sort of relief effort, some relief package, 270 million uh, relief package to the uh, uh, Southwest Georgia. Um, What part of that, like, 
what has motivated you, number one, to stand on conviction? And number two, how do you do it in the face of... It's very unique, actually, to have have participated in two um, two special sessions in four years. Usually, you only have one every 10 years or more, possibly. Um, so mm-hmm. when I... Uh, I think it was 2018, it was, in, in November, uh, we came in for a special session for the, uh, the relief, uh, disaster relief for Hurricane Michael. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when the government comes into it's sort of the similar you know thing that we're talking about here uh, but just a little different uh but it does come down to personal responsibility i think that's one of the biggest things uh you you have lacking in a lot of society nowadays is they look to the government and say how can you help me with this situation instead of looking to the community or the churches or the individuals your friends or family but with this type of incident what happened in georgia what i saw happen was you know we had a, a devastating uh, hurricane hit our hit our um our state and so the solution was to um, give out low interest loans and to the, to the people that were affected. Um, so we actually have a safeguard for this. It's called the, the rainy day fund. And this literally was a, a rainy day. We have about two and a half billion <laughs> in surplus here yet. We did not even touch Absolutely. that. And so that was a one red flag that went up to me. But also when we tried to pass out these bills, there was many things attached to them. Uh, for instance, there was a $10 million grant to Mercer University, which is the oldest private university in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, that was attached in there. And then people were, got a lot of heartburn of it. Of course, I did too. So they took it out and they made people's, uh, they made, it, made the representatives feel a little bit better about what they were voting on. But this was almost, I think it was around $450 million worth of you know handouts and subsidies with low interest loans. And so, yeah, I stood alone on that. And uh, because based off the principle of it, you know, it's not the proper role of government, and especially with, you know, farmers and, and just in general, um, you know, there's a lot of help that comes to our farmers to the Farm Act federally and a lot mm-hmm. of different things after that. And a lot of people, you know, they had insurance, but what about the people that paid their insurance and di- didn't get hit or they did get hit? And then uh, the other people that didn't have the personal responsibility enough to have their insurance, uh, they're getting, you know, free money. Uh, which mm-hmm. is uh, not fair either. Uh, so I overall think the whole thing, you know, with the, the free money subsidies, uh, interfering in free markets, things like that, is all bad in general because uh, it disproportionately affects, um, you know, the markets. Mm-hmm. But only that, I think it's immoral that we would, you know, taxation is force. And then when you have the money that's taken by force and you dole it out to certain people, um, yeah. that's not more ethical, I don't believe. But going back to your other question about, you know, how do you stand up to these attacks? Yeah, <laughs> You know, um, the first year, I have to say, the first year was the toughest year I had uh, when I was elected because I was getting attacked left and right for voting my conscience and my principles and my convictions. And basically everything I ran my campaign on, I was trying to follow through with what I, I said I would do if I got elected. And I did. And I got uh, I got threatened by the governor's chief of staff. And and uh, then they came after me, me my reelection uh, with the governor deal. And David Ralston, first time in Georgia history, saw that happen against a Republican incumbent. Right. And so when that happened, you know, it's kind of like calluses always say that you build up. So the first year definitely was a little harder, but the second year was easier. And the third year was way easier. And the fourth year now, uh, we were in total open warfare with the establishment and mm-hmm. uh, and they hate it. But it, um, you know, it's just trying to do what you think is right. And, yeah. you know, and you can't please everybody. I learned that very quickly. And you can't if somebody agrees with you 100 percent of the time. There's probably something wrong there. <laughs> so, exactly. you know, you, no, uh, yeah. you got to have independent legislative judgment. And I've tried to bring that to the state capitol the last four years because, you know, you've got to be able to look at a bill, look at the policy of it, and then take away all the emotions and all the things that, you know, a lot of the times I see is when people vote, 
they vote out of fear is probably the number one driver. Oh yeah. And then that, that fear is not, is not predictable. It's an emotional response. And so you'll probably make the wrong decisions a lot of the times because what you're doing, you're basing your, your policy decisions off of usually a selfish motive as well, because mostly it has to come back to the representative or Senator that says, well, how is this going to help me in reelection? Right. And uh, if you put that out uh, of your mind and say, you know, this, how's this going to help Georgians and not just myself, how's this going to help, you know, the free market or how's this going to help our healthcare system? You have to look at it in that lens. And I think it becomes very easy to vote principally into the constitution. But if you're always thinking about how is this going to help me in my reelection? How is this going to look, you know, how's the public perception of this going to look, you know, um, you're, you're, you're probably going to make the wrong decision. Uh, but you just have to give it, give it in God's hands and say, you know, this is what mm-hmm. I was down down here for, and this is what I said I would do, and this and this follow through with this. It's, it's about integrity. It's an integrity check, really. So, um, you mm-hmm. know, that's that's how I look at it in my lens. The last four years. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think the problem that you face, and a lot of the people who do things like you do, like Justin Amash and anyone else who is st- the great Ron Paul, who stood up a lot of times as a lone vote on on issues uh, throughout his entire career, and being chided and derided and attacked for doing that, being called uh, heartless, being called evil, being called uh, you know impractical, all sorts of things. The problem uh, you a lot of your breed faces is not that you're doing something bad. You're actually doing something that's actually quite good because you're informing people that the power to change the world in their lives rests within them, not within some outside source. But it, 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 the problem lies in what Bastiat, who is one of the most luminous political thinkers uh, in, in existence, in my opinion, he said that once the government gets, once the government becomes more about secure, more than securing life, liberty, and property, everyone has an interest in it. Like people's interests begin to drag it in different ways, which is when you, which is when you get this sort of, these sort of problems. So the fact that there are so many parts of, of, uh, of society the government is plugged into, a lot of people have special interests in it that, that, that do not connect to the overall universal interest of preserving natural liberty, natural rights. And so people have been conditioned into this mindset of, of, of sort of wanting things that are antithetical to the American vision. And that is what you see reacting against you whenever you make these votes. You, it's not actually people who have a clear head about what they're saying, in my opinion. I think they are just confused as to the purpose of government, and that's why they're reacting so harshly. What do you think? I agree with you. Um, you know, I, I'm, gl- I'm glad you mentioned uh, Frederick Bastiat. You know, what, he, what you're talking about basically is legal plunder of what he mm-hmm. says in his book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, um, you know, legal plunder happens with when you have so much interest, exactly what you're saying into the government, into the, the people's pocket, the purse of the people, basically. And you can see mm-hmm. this in, in reality, just when you go down to the Capitol or you go to DC, look at how many lobbyists there are, look how many special yep. interests there are. And most of them have to do with something within the free markets. And so they're trying to get a special interest here, a special interest there. And um, it's contradictory to what the government was founded on, you know, what you, you mentioned, natural rights, God-given rights that government is here to protect and not to grant it. And mm-hmm. so that is something that um, I've seen firsthand happen. And, and certainly uh, uh, Frederick Bastiat, he, um, he was spot on when he was talking about legal plunder and how they use the government and the people's money to enrich Absolutely. themselves, basically. And to, um, you know, and, and to really harm the, the real, the, the individual, the citizen that was, they're supposed to be protecting. And so it's, uh, it goes full circle with that. And I think that that's why, you know, I got involved in politics the first time when I was about 18, it was because of people like Ron Paul, actually, actually Ron Paul was my first influence in politics because 
the guy was so consistent and I was only 18 and he was probably in his early seventies. I want to say maybe because it was about 2007 when I got involved mm-hmm. and uh, I liked what he had to say because he was so consistent and he was different. You know, he was saying things that no one else was saying. And those are the hard mm-hmm. truths that people don't want to hear, but the citizens love it. You know, he had to say the same things for, you know, 20 years or more until, you know, until a generation like mine started to realize that is what we want. We want someone like that. And he, he influenced me to even get involved in politics. And, and then I end up, um, you know, running for office. I didn't think I'd ever do that, but um, I ran for office at 26 and, um, you know, I ran on a platform to bring principles back into politics because that was what, what was lacking. You know, people were trading values for votes and votes for values. And that's how the reason, the entire reason we have a big government today um, and that is encroaching upon us at every angle is because so many before have compromised little by little. You know, big government didn't happen overnight. It, it happened because of many different compromises over the years of di- different individuals and elected officials that were selling this out basically and uh, and not really looking back to the constitution and saying, here's what it says and let's follow it. And so over the years, I think that's why we've gotten away from our constitutional Republic and former government and, you know, away from natural rights. But I'm so glad that the conversation is coming back up, you know, nowadays about natural rights and, you know, Mm -hmm. shall not be infringed, you know, looking at the constitution, looking at it, what it says in its context and what it means. And looking at what the founders actually intended instead of being, you know, told by your your government schools, basically, that that, you know, the Constitution doesn't mean anything. It's just a piece of paper and it changes over time. So it really doesn't it's just doesn't mean anything anymore. Absolutely. I'm so sick of hearing that. And I'm so glad that people are starting to realize that, you know, things are changing and and it it is going back to the government of the people. And no matter what, we've got to do that you know, as much as we can, you know, to, to bring light to the situation we have at hand on, on federal issues, on state issues, on local issues, where the government's just out of control on, on all yeah. aspects. And I think that getting good people elected to actually go down there to the state capitals or to the city council meetings or up to D.C. and, you know, speaking the truth and standing up for the Constitution and for the little guy is what's right. going to, you know, that's what's going to have to happen to make things change. You know, it's going to take a, right. a small minority of people that are angry and that are upset and that are willing to stand up and say, no, we're not right. going to do this anymore. And so that's what I've tried to do. Uh, not so angry about it, but, <laughs> but definitely, you know, passionate about it that, you know, putting a, a drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is not acceptable anymore. And so right. it brought to light a lot of things in Georgia uh, with the budgeting processes, with the corrupt speaker, with the corrupt establishment. And uh, just by saying no, it brings to light a lot of different things that the general public just really wasn't aware of. So I, I was happy to do that in the last four years at the state capitol. Yeah. Now, so piggybacking off of that, how do you intend to take that same spirit of, of resilience and of, of sort of constitutional understanding to the halls of Capitol Hill, where both of those things are tried and uh, tried and tested every single day by party whips, by lobbyists, as you mentioned earlier, by the media? I think you would be stepping into a very big arena that I have full confidence you'll be able to handle. But if you can, walk us through what your strategy might be towards handling those things in particular, towards sort of like snuffing out and, and, sub, and subduing the influences of Capitol Hill on the brand and on the message that you're trying to put in the halls of government? 
Yeah, sure thing. That's a great question. You know, I uh, sort of got my training out, you know, my training is at the state house and certainly it's a bigger field up in the national level, but the tactics are the same. You know, what they do, they, what they do to you is they want you to compromise on your first vote. If, if the leadership or the lobbyist or anything they can get to you and the only first vote and you compromise on it, um, you're pretty much done. I've seen this happen so many times in individuals that come down to the state capitol with the best intentions. Yet uh, when they get them on that first vote, they it's a lot easier to compromise on the next one and a lot easier. So it's sort of like a scale I look at. You know, when you, when you get into the state capitol, you're a brand new elected official. You're there, you're, you're idealistic, you're ready to fight the establishment, you're ready to stand up for what you believe in, and your integrity level is about 100%, clean slate. And then uh, when you, if you make a bad vote, your first vote, it goes down to, to 50%. And you make another bad vote, that's 25, then 12 and a half, and then zero, and then you're in the negatives, and then you're just voting for anything, any which way you can vote. And so when I, if, I get, if I get elected to D.C. and I get elected to Congress and go up to D.C., I... Uh, you know, it's going to be sort of the same tactics. I know they're going to use against me. They're going to try to influence me this way or that way. It'll become it'll become comments and slight you know, slights of hand and things like that. And it'll be it'll become manipulation and then threats and all kinds of different things like that. So just standing strong and saying no, that's not going to happen. Eventually, eventually they'll leave you alone. That's what I've seen in the state capital. At least they'll try and try and try much as they can, but then after a while, they realize that you're not going to break. Um, they they try to leave you alone until your reelection comes, for, of course, and then they'll they'll come after you, of course. But um, you know, bringing those values up to DC is much needed. There's people like Ron Paul, um, you know, have led the way for people like me. Um, his son, you know, Rand Paul, he endorsed our campaign. I look forward to working with him on the House side while he's in the Senate. Uh, Thomas Massey has endorsed our campaign. He's a good friend of mine. I look forward to voting with him uh, on many issues. Me and him aligned very. Very, uh, very good. And, you know, like Jim Jordan and Andy Biggs, these other guys in there that are trying to fight mm -hmm. the good fight. Um, those are the types of people I'm going to be hanging around with because they are the real true conservatives that we need more of. And building that bench of these liberty, conservative Republicans that mm -hmm. are actually principled, what we have to do to take our country back. And, and the more we grow our, our numbers, the, the more afraid the establishment will be, and the more likely that we can take back our country. Because certainly there are there is corruption on on both sides. You know, obviously, you know, you got Democrats and, and they have their beliefs and, and you, you've seen, you know, just look at the news, what they're doing. <laughs> and then you have the Republicans, though, that are also um, the rhinos that are just right. in Republican in name only that get elected and completely do the opposite. You know, a lot of the times in the state capitals, what I noticed was that the Democrats and the Republicans were always coming together and voting unanimously to grow government. So I call I call them a bunch of statists, basically, because uh, they're, they're looking at <laughs> saying, you know, government's here to fix all these problems. In reality, you know, the government's only here to protect certain things like life, liberty, and property, and that's about it. And uh, right now, it's been so convoluted uh, with what government's proper role is that you have generations of people that have been coming up to believe and raised to believe that government is here to take care of you. And hold your hand to give you a free lunch and any society societal problem is here to fix it but really you've got to get looking back at the churches the community the family get looking at them for the solutions and not government because the government is only going to be you know as good as it <laughs> well governments are hardly any good it's very inefficient very, very ineffective and uh and it's just a you know it's a necessary evil as the founding fathers would say
And so you mm-hmm. got to have certain certain aspects to for public safety, like your public, you know, law enforcement officers and and things like that to, uh, to uphold the law and the yeah. courts and judges to uphold contract law. But it really comes down to you know, the common law. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, do what you say, keep your word. It's all about integrity. So if people right. had more values instilled into them at a young age. I think we'd be way better off than we are today. Absolutely. I think that if more people were reminded of the glories of personal responsibility, I think that a lot of problems in society would be not problems at all. Um, so I must ask you, Matt, to you, what does conservatism in action mean to you? Because for a lot of people, they may be confused about what that means. A lot of people have preconceptions that may not be true or whatever. So for you, what is conservatism in your in your, in your your context? Right. Well, you know, there's a couple aspects of that. So, you know, you can be a fiscal conservative so that you would save your money. You would spend what only that you can afford. You wouldn't be in debt. Um, that you would uh, always try to, you know, use the money that you were granted to with the best ability, promoting personal responsibility in your half to take care of you and your family. So that's one part of the conservatism I see. But also conservatism, the American conservatism, that is the, you know, going back to the Judeo-Christian values of our nation that was founded upon that, you know, that we, we want to have our nation that, you know, it's God-fearing people that respects, you know, their elders and, uh, and upholds the law. And, you know, the Ten Commandments, you know, that's more the traditional conservatism I think we need to see more of. Um, And so those are two types of conservatism, I would say, that uh, are one and the same with me. Um, You know, as a Christian, uh, you know, that is uh, my faith. My faith is important to me. And I think, you know, looking back at the founding fathers and what they believed and and the the things, you know, it was it was really just unique that we are. This country was even founded. It was it was nearly impossible that you think it could ever happen that that we would, we would break away from the most powerful government in the world and that we'd be successful in doing that and then creating the, the greatest nation the world's ever seen um, based off of those beliefs. You know, I think that was, uh, that was very awesome. You know, and that, that word's too much lately, but, you know, awesome, is, it, it really is awesome what the founding fathers did. And so those are types of conservatism that I'm trying to bring, you know, back to politics, uh, mm-hmm. that we need to have personal responsibility, that it would be fiscally conservative and that we need to bring principles and values back to politics because, you know, you just look at just the word politician nowadays. That's just a negative condemnation. You know, we need yes, more it is. and uh, so when, I, when people say, well, you're a politician now. When I first got elected, I, I really didn't like that that word. You know, I, I would tell them, I say, no, I'm a statesman because politicians, you know, politicians sell you out. So but I want to be a statesman, you know, and so. So I think that's that's kind of my take on it. That's a good question. I've never been asked that before, but uh, but yeah, that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, absolutely. That's phenomenal. Uh, so I guess this is the last question before we wind down. Do you do you see how do you think beyond getting more people elected into office, beyond even social activism, how do you think that uh, people conservatives or libertarians could Make, could make their case in a much more powerful way that would become like it would become as commonplace as government intervention or government paternalism has become in our culture. That's a good question. Um, well, you know, to, to build the bench, it's all about education. So, you know, with this opportunity to go to Congress, and, and this is something that's been weighing on my mind, 
is, you know, what is the goal to try to change things? Of course, you can go up there, you can be principled and you can vote right every time. But if no one knows about it, then what do you, you know, how are you going to educate the, the future generations? You know, I look at what Ron Paul did. Like I said, he said the same things for years and it took years before people to pick up on it, that generation. So being a younger candidate, I'm 31. I hope and pray that if I'm elected, that my voice and the, and the ideas of liberty and the Constitution and personal responsibility and individual liberty can be espoused on the national level. And so that others, that younger generation can see that and be influenced by that. I think that that is the only way that really, you know, that's what's going to have, have to happen. It's going to be a whole transformation of society to look at government different ways. It's going to take a lot of people to speaking those truths out loud and a national platform like in D.C. to do that and be able to speak those truths um, I think that is probably one of the most beneficial things we can possibly do to influence, you know, millions of people that are growing up in our country that are, uh, you know, uh, sadly are starting to believe in socialism. And and so we want people to start believing in the Constitution, what the proper role of government actually is and what the Constitution actually says, what we should be doing. And those are the things I'm going to bring up to D.C. And hopefully, you know, that would be my my prayer and wish that kids, young adults, um, you know, people growing up that are, you know, in early 20s or teens that would see something like that and say, wow, you know, that's something different because I never heard my professor say that. I don't hear somebody right. saying that. Having that right. cloud as a, you know, as a elected official and the congressman to say those truths out loud and hopefully to educate the people because it's all about education. You know, as uh, as a state representative, when I first ran, I said, I'm going to put a, a weekly column in all my four newspapers. And I did, I've done that for wow. four years and, and wow. you wouldn't believe the responses from people, not only in my district, but all over the state because Jesus. they had heard wow. that I might be the only no vote. And they would say, well, why did my representative vote that way? And then they would look into the, the issue deeper. And then not only in my district though, you know, we had support coming from, you know, all the neighboring counties because they had heard about me and they read my articles and all I was doing was just telling the truth. I was telling them, these are the bills we're voting on. Here's the most important ones. This is how I voted. This is how I think the proper role of government is. And it was very astounding to see so many people that would become educated. They were talking about unfunded mandates, the proper role of government, Article 1, Section 8. They were talking about things that, that I wanted them to talk about because it was just so important. So I think if I'm elected to D.C., I'm going to do the exact same thing. You know, every single uh, there's 20 counties in the 9th District. I want to put out a, a, a weekly column in every single county um, so that people know what's happening in D.C. so we can educate the whole ninth district of the nation. So if, if that makes sense, that, that's my goal. That is that is transparency square. That is a very admirable effort. One last question. How do you think you how, how do you think your goals would change or uh, modify? under a President Biden as opposed to a President Sanders? Because it seems like Biden's going to get the Democratic nomination right now. It's, actually, it's almost a certain, basically, he's going to. But if Sanders had actually gotten it, the battle for liberty, in my opinion, would have been much more, uh, would, have, would have been much more heavy, he- heavily, much more heavily fought because he literally is the avatar of everything that is against liberty and is against these sort of values that the America was founded on, natural rights. How do you think the strategy would be different under President Biden if, well, he, gets, if he gets the if he wins the presidency, which is questionable <laughs> given his decaying mental yeah. state? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think Trump's going to win it hands down. But so if, he, if he if he actually won, if Biden won, 
you know, what I've seen happen a lot of times, and just as an analogy to this, when you have those types of uh, people that come up and try to run for elected office, it really it invigorates the other side more. And they start to realize that this might be the most important election of their lifetimes. And so they start to stand up. And so, you know, it's a yin and yang, the politics to it. Um, that's why we have our system of checks and balances. That's why we have our, our separate, um, you know, branches of government. It's because, you know, you, you want that gridlock. You, you want that, you know, it's the things wouldn't, you know, happen uh, overnight, that there's a lot of things that go into the process where you have to debate and you have to do these types of things. So if that happened, you know, I think there, there would be a, a huge debate um, on the floor of the, uh, the House of Representatives or in, or in the Senate where people would actually have to debate those issues. You know, if, for instance, when we um, we had the heartbeat bill come through Georgia House of Representatives, that really invigorated both sides. I mean, there was a clear ideological difference there about the abortion issue for Republicans versus Democrats. And so when the, when the heartbeat bill came up for debate, it was an actual debate. It was the first time I'd seen people get up there to the well and actually debate the ideas of what they were trying to espouse. And uh, so it was good to see that people were getting out there and debating. And so if that happens, you know, I would hope that there would be much debate about the merits of these policies that a Biden or a Bernie would put through because, you know, they're not very American uh, at all. They're actually anti-American, a lot of their policies. And so I hope that the real Americans would stand up and start to speak out about why we are the country we are and how we got here and what they're actually trying to do and how their policies have failed on the national level to an extent where, you know, we're doing that now, of course, but an extent where the representatives would be, you know, actively debating on the floor, because I'd like to see some more of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I uh, good luck in the upcoming race. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate you having me on your podcast. No problem. All right, everyone. I'll see you next time.